0: Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Living It Up podcast, Monday edition, October 3rd. This is Brian. I am joined by our esteemed legal expert, George, an actual lawyer that does lawyering by day, which comes in handy these days when we follow professional golf. I'm also joined by Billy Hurley III, an actual pro golfer, winner of the PGA Tour, which comes in handy since we're talking about professional golf. Uh, on this episode, we're going to take a quick look in and out of the action. You know, it's the fall. We're not watching a lot of golf right now. We're going to talk about the, uh, the the shotgun start hit and giggle that was the, uh, the, the Dunhill over at St. Andrews. Uh, we'll talk about the Sanderson Farms and the PGA Tour. Um, undoubtedly, the coolest tee markers and the coolest trophy on the PGA Tour, some might say. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the ongoing saga that is the official world golf rankings and some of these comments that have come out. Uh, Some speculation that's come out about coming together or never. Uh, We'll talk about that, but let's begin. And and Billy, I'll I'll, I'll turn it to you. We just had this event at Sanderson Farms. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes wins in a playoff over the uh, the Septic Tank Sepstraka. I didn't watch too much of it, but but my thoughts went to like where do events like this fit into the the ecosystem of the PJ Tour? We've got an upcoming season with a bunch of elevated events. Are these you know, unelevated events, like where do these fit in? And, and what should we be thinking about, you know, this, this part of the, the golf calendar?
1: It's really a good question. And I think the answer is, we really don't know, right? We're still waiting on what the elevated events are, you know, the, the, the three or four extra ones that are that are to come that haven't been named. And, um, you know, what the criteria field sizes are, how does one get into those, um, you know, so so you should think that probably winners will get into those elevated events. Um, so winning something like Sanderson Farms would get you into those events. Um, so I think that that's important, right? It's not certainly not lost on Mackenzie Hughes, you know, that, that he wasn't at the Presidents Cup and now he's back in the winner's circle and headed to Maui and presumably getting an Augusta invite, like that's the other, you know, question mark. Is like, has Augusta, has Augusta changed their eligibility criterion for the Masters? So, you know, there's always been what we joked about inside the ropes as a PGA and a PGB tour. And when you win, you kind of get into that PGA tour that is the, you know, that, that used to be the invitationals and the majors and, you know, some of the bigger events. Now we've like just... Told the public that there's a PGA and a PG, M tour or something like that. You know, with these elevated events. So, where will Sanderson Farms be a year from now um, when the FedEx Cup playoffs is is over and only 70 guys made the playoffs? And there's now this new kind of fall series to keep your card and, and revamp Q school that gives out PGA tour cards. Like, where does that all fall? I, I nobody knows yet. Right. It's, it's interesting that we've started a season of a sport that we actually don't know where it ends. Well, is- and
2: I'd, I'd like to know because, you know, the Sanderson was opposite the Dunhill. The Dunhill's kind of a big deal for the DP. It gets a lot of big names. I know it's, it might not be like a crown jewel event kind of thing, but you know, it's hosted on really cool events and it, they got a lot of very big names over there. At what point with the strategic alliance, between the pga and the dp world tour is the pga going to say like we don't want any of your like they may want to push schedule around to those events to make sure that they're not losing big name players to the dp world tour
1: a lot of different things going on inside of that right it just became a Ryder cup year right so guys have to play a certain amount in europe to, to be eligible for the Ryder cup um so you start looking at schedules like that, and, it, and you're right. George Dunhill's a, a great tournament. It's kind of the you know what in the US we would consider the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am. That's that's their version, you know, on the DP World Tour, and so it gets a lot of great players who go over there and and and, and play some great golf courses in in the Pro Am format. So,
0: um, and 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 it's so an interesting much. thing that you tied on like you know eligibility for the Ryder Cup and guys playing. You know what's interesting that came out of this is that Ryan Fox is the winner. Ryan Fox, many thought was was snubbed off the Presidents Cup list. I think by by all accounts, he's he's now jumped into I think like the top twenty five in the world, which would have put him you know basically fourth on the Presidents Cup yeah. team. Uh, also, uh, he went just uh, by yeah. world rankings.
2: H- hand up, some of us also thought he was Australian, so um, not Australian or New Zealand, um, similar but
0: very different. So hand up, my bad. Apologies to everyone. Apologies yes. to everyone. But but it's interesting to note that like both, you know, Ryan Fox and Mackenzie Hughes, two guys that were, I I would say less so chatter on Mackenzie Hughes. He was not in fine form, but you looked at a guy like Ryan Fox and a lot of people argued like he should have been on that team. Perhaps he was a casualty of the fact that he's not a member of the PGA Tour and they were just going, you know, very strictly to make this, you know, the PGA Tour U.S. versus the PGA Tour in good standing members from the international community. Um, Again, also interesting, Mackenzie Hughes wins the week after. you know, you you you'd look at guys like that, and you would definitely say maybe maybe he's looking two years out and looking at Royal Montreal, and he wants to absolutely be on that team. But it is always interesting to think about. You mentioned the Ryder Cup eligibility. Are guys just thinking about these these team events differently?
2: You you nailed it last week, Billy, talking about when you play for the U.S., you play for a flag. You've got your flag on your your shirt. When you play with this international team, you've you've got a blue flag. That's nothing. Um, and you throw all these guys together and, you know, it, it, if that really was what the tours thought was like, Hey, we just want PGA tour guys only on this. And I don't know why, because we have a strategic alliance with the DP world tour. So what'd be more strategic than putting together the best event you possibly can with the most talented players you could find. Um, like it, it just is like a head scratcher that they would keep Certain players out for that reason. When, you know, from the outside looking in, once they lost the live players, and I, I understand why they didn't want to include them, but then why would you wouldn't, you know, at least for the sake of Trapper Emmelman, be like, give
0: me the 12 best eligible people on the planet. So let's pivot from DP World Tour Action, PJ Tour Action. Let's talk about some of the off course comments that have come up. You know, Greg Norman had an interview, then Rory McIlroy had an interview early, uh, you know, this week, you know, the, the crux of Rory's comments, which some took out of context in both directions were, you know, if, if top players and he used Dustin Johnson as the example, you know, if Dustin Johnson starts being ranked as the 100th best best golfer in the world soon, because mathematically that's going to happen to him in the next, you know, 18 to 20 weeks, he's just going to drop by one or two pegs every time. And so does this start to like make no sense if you have guys that, you know, objectively are some of the best golfers in the world, a la Cam, Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson being ranked so low, like at some point you've got to give them ranking points. He'll he'll couple that with, but you should follow the rules. And that's sort of what I'm hearing from some of the major media outlets and, and podcasts is they're starting to come around to this realization that like, you know, you know, this new world of professional golf that we're all going to have to be comfortable in because it's going to be messy. Like, yeah, we're going to have to find a way to rank the top guys. But I don't share the sentiment of like, but you have to follow all these rules that we just made up to codify the PGA Tour and the European Tour back in the day.
2: Yeah. And it's it sort of, if you listen to these, a lot of the guys who are echoing it on, you know, other podcasts and whatnot, if you listen to them, they, their arguments don't really make sense because, on the one hand, you have to follow the rules. But then they go on and be like, God, watching golf on TV is so brutal. They can't get it right. All these PGA. Like, it's like, well, the only way if you follow the rules, you're just recreating a product that we all agree isn't that great for a viewer at home. Like, I'm not arguing the level of play or the competition. I'm saying as an entertainment product, we all acknowledge it's not the best. And so live for better or worse wherever you're going to fall on it is like all right we're going to give you we're going to repackage the entertainment product differently and it's still competitive golf for millions of dollars with great players on courses you know you tee off you count up all the strokes and at the end whoever hit it the least wins the money right like at its base it's golf and as far as i understand they have slugger white so they are very very strictly following the rule of golf and they are still playing with regulation clubs and everything else. So, you know, in one way, it's, if you, if you can rank arguably say points for a PGA tour event and points for a DP event that occur on the same weekend on wildly different courses under wildly different circumstances, and those can all rank out, why is this one so dramatically different? And I do get the nuance Well, you have fewer players and this and that. And I, I, I can understand some of these arguments, but at some point you just follow the rules. Is like, well, then you're just making the PGA tour part six. Cause you've got the PGA tour. You've got the corn ferry tour. You've got the DP tour. You've got all these other, you know, 72 hole with a cut tours. So then the whole point is like, no one should ever try ever again, because you have to only be the PGA
0: tour. Yeah, and I've said for a while that if you if you read it as um for developmental tours, it makes a lot of sense. What you're saying is these things have to have a certain level of credibility and standing and sort of financial backing that they've got to be credible and to award points to credible organizations hosting professional golf events at a developmental level. But it was never ever meant to to envision a, a competitor. And you could argue that because they have these time limits in place around a one-year wait, and some people would argue it, it almost makes it like two or three-year wait. Then you're basically like forestalling a competitor from ever getting off the ground, because who's going to start to jump over to your competitive tour when your world ranking points go to zero over that two to three-year time horizon?
1: Yeah, we've said it from the start, right, guys? Like it's just math, right? I mean, it's it's I mean, it's just an equation, you know, and and no question should we just. You know, tomorrow decide that Liv's going to get world golf ranking points. They're not going to get that many. Like, I, I mean, like they've got some great players in the fields, but they don't have that many players, right? At only 48 players, the total cumulative, like, kind of, you know, mass of points that those players bring week in and week out are not as many as 156 on the PGA Tour or 156 on the DP World Tour, even at you know lower rankings, right? Those that that sheer kind of law of large numbers is going to kind of beat out 48 from a number standpoint.
0: And so what I think we're almost getting to is like, Liv has to demand it, right? Demand the like credibility of like, we're elite golfers playing golf under the rules, we should be ranked. But what they also like may have as as like in the back of their mind, but but we actually don't want the current OWGR math to apply to us. And so I, I would look at things like data golf or other people that are going to start standing up you know, alternative ranking systems, they're probably gonna want to hitch their wagon to that as a way to say, hey, mathematically, this shows with strokes gained and score differential to your competitors how these guys rank when they when they all tee it up together.
2: Yeah, no, there's it's a completely I've come around for the exact reason that Billy just laid out, like it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like they're because if they get the points, they're gonna be diminished. Um, and, and frankly, I don't know if you could really blame the UWGR for it. I think it's one of those things that we just take time to sort through, to figure out like, what is the right mal calculus? How do you balance it and equate for what you're getting? And, you know, one thing that I think the, the live guys are correct in their ask and their letter is like, Hey, we need this to be retroactive because just merely through the passage of time, they've been penalized. And it's like, if you figure out how to get it to us we got to go plug all that back in and get caught up. Cause if we start from where you forced us to be by giving us nothing, now you're already in like that downward spiral. That's just going to keep pushing them further and further down. So in that regard, you're, you're screwed. And then as a casual golf fan, you can't look me in the eye and be like, well, no, Cam Smith went and played three live events. He's now 25th in the world. Like I, it just, nope. That that doesn't work either. Yeah, and you want
1: one or two of them, right? In in the process or something, right? Exactly. And so they live, and Mm
2: -hmm. so then the OWGR kind of loses its credibility, and that ultimately puts the majors in a really tight spot because, I mean, they just want the best fields to sell the most advertising, most gear, most tickets, and you know, the majors are the one place. Well, I would say they for a while, looked like they're only a long place, but I guess you can go play on the DP tour if you're a Lib guy in certain circumstances, where you bring all these guys together and now let's really see. Um, and is that going to require them to soften or adjust their their criteria because, you know, an Abe answer may have dropped out of the top 30 or whatever the, the threshold is just by, you know, he's, it doesn't sound like he's playing a lot of DP stuff. So how do you get these guys in who arguably should be there A Joaquin Neiman, for example, versus like, look, I'm not, no one's going to cry if Lee Westwood doesn't go play the U.S. Open anymore, right? Like, it's just, we get it. Ian Poulter, same thing. But you, you do some of these things and it's like, you know, I think it's just a no-win situation for everybody. If Liv gets them, they're screwed. And if they don't get them, the UWR is screwed.
1: I think the real winner is the majors, George, because I just think that that's ultimately going to, what it's going to turn into is they'll figure out how to get the best players in the world in their field, right? They all make up their own criteria, right? Let's not pretend that there's some, in the same way we're saying the OWGR is made up criterion, um, and it just happens to have been around for a long time, doesn't mean it can't change. Same thing for criteria for the U.S. Open and the, you know, Open Championship, PGA Championship, the Masters, like they are going to want the best players in the world to be there, to your point, to sell the most tickets, to have the best you know, TV rights, to sell the most hats, sell the most shirts, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they're going to become the one true place four times a year, three or four. I still can't wrap my head around what the PGA of America is going to do. Um, but, but I think, I do think the masters and the U S open and the open championship are going to allow these guys to continue to play based on the criterion that they have set up or if they want to change it or whatever. But I mean, let's not forget, many of these guys are exempt for life into the masters. Many of them are exempt till they're 60 into the open championship. You know, many of them are exempt for another five to eight years into the U S open. And, and so I think that they become the real winners in this of like, Here's when everybody's coming. They're not coming to any other event across the world together until the meet.
0: Yeah. And, and it's going to make for what I think are assuming this may not get resolved, or, you know, folks at the RNA and the USGA say, hey, we're not going to adjust our qualifications, but we're going to look at them, you know, longer term, but maybe they don't do it in 23. It could be like uh, appointment viewing for the, uh, you know, open and the US open, uh, local ins- or not local. they probably get through there, but, you know, the, the final qualifications. Uh, if you've got like Carlos Ortiz and Abe answer, like I, I went and followed you at it this year, Billy, it's, it's fun to go watch that one, but it might be a lot more fun to watch that one in person and on TV when you got some of these names that might be arguably top 50 guys in the world, but not getting in. But
2: then like I guess if the, if the majors change their criteria, isn't that effectively the end of the OWGR? Cause that's why it matters now, right? Like it really says the uh, WGCs have basically kind of withered away there, you know, and here's what, three, two or three now. It's but
1: There's only one now. There's
2: only one. So those have kind of gone away. And once those are gone, like what, what is the OWGR for?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, the lest we forget who's on the governing board of the OWGR and it is the PGA tour, the European tour, DP world tour and the Majors, right? I mean, that's who kind of is, is, is running the show at the world ranking. So how that all plays out, um, will be, will be fascinating, but I just think the majors have to be sitting there thinking we're going to, we're, we're winning.
0: Yeah. And the timing of it all is interesting. I know Greg Norman speculated like we're getting slow played here. And I would argue probably, yes, they are because <laughs> that looks Absolutely. at it, like, yeah, if you look at our criteria for evaluation, we're just evaluating as slowly as we can possibly do it under our criteria, but we can actually let's, let's pivot. Cause there was a bunch of other news with regard to uh, lawsuits I mentioned at the top great to have a legal expert who actually does lawyering by day uh, because it seems like every day is a new lawsuit, a dropping of a lawsuit, a change to a lawsuit. You know, this week, one of the big changes was Phil Mickelson and many others have dropped from the, what is now amounts to live versus the PGA tour lawsuit. There's three players still remaining. I'd imagine they may drop out and just make this live versus the PGA tour antitrust lawsuit. Um, I'm curious, George, like what do you read into this now that Mm -hmm live as latched on players are just dropping like flies? So I I think there's a couple things.
2: One, um, you know, with the tour championship, the season ends, they re-up to be on the tour um, and they just didn't re-up. So I think a lot of their claims might just evaporate by just an operation of them not being back on the PGA tour. Um, There's, I also think candidly, so if you look at a lot of the guys who are out, they are people who would most likely get the magic envelope in December. And I I have to assume that agents and whatnot, you know, are constantly talking to people behind the scenes and they are probably getting word that Augusta would not take kindly to people actively suing, you know, I guess you'd call the PGA tour, maybe their business partner. I know there's a a very strange piece between the two of them, Um, but I I just have to believe that they're getting word of we are not going to want you here if this is ongoing and the press is going to be able to talk about this ongoing lawsuit. You know, if you're doing live and you just do your live thing, you do your live thing. Um, I think they can probably agree and make peace with that part. But if you're in this active sort of attack of the PGA Tour, which by being a plaintiff and doing that, that's what they arguably are, I think that puts. They just look at them like we don't want the sideshow that comes with it, and I I have to have a hunch that that's got to be a decent amount of it.
0: And speaking of sideshows, there was yet another uh, legal uh, drama that played out. Uh, Patrick Reed apparently dropped, but then very quickly refiled or redomiciled his uh, his lawsuit to Florida, perhaps searching for a more sympathetic judge. But uh, uh, also he added. Uh, you know, Shane Bacon and and Eamon Lynch and a few other folks from golf, golf, uh, golf channel and golf publications. I I have a couple thoughts. One, I think this is crazy. We've said from the beginning, this whole thing sounds crazy because they're basically saying, you know, people within the media can't express opinions, which is ludicrous and has been protected, you know, as like, you know, an, an anchor of the US media landscape, like they can have opinions and not be not be sued for them. Certainly also when those opinions have like video evidence of said infractions, that makes it really, really hard for a judge to think about this one uh, sympathetically. But, but I've had a thought like maybe it's almost like trying to place a gag on these guys, like because you're named as, as, you know, in this lawsuit, does that make these guys quieter? Does it make them, you know, stop talking bad about you? And the other part is like, if this ever sees trial and George, you could put, throw water on this. Like, is it a way to get discovery and maybe something useful turns up in discovery or depositions? This episode is sponsored by the Fit for Golf app, the all-in-one guide to better golf, fitness, and health. I've been using the Fit for Golf app for many months. You know, it's improved my overall strength, flexibility, and my ability to prepare the right way before I play. In fact, I find that if I'm coming in hot for a tee time, I don't just bang balls, you know, for 10 minutes like I used to. Instead, I have a set of band and club-aided dynamic stretches that I do. And then I just hit a handful of balls and putts and I'm ready to rock. In the Fit for Golf app, you'll find a ton of workouts and programs from speed training to off-season and in-season workouts, warm-up routines, and much, much more. And living it up, listeners, we have a special deal for you. Use the code Living It Up, all one word in checkout. And you'll get 20% off an annual membership. We thank Fit for Golf for their sponsorship. And I thank Fit for Golf for the improvements I'm seeing in my own game. The
2: US libel law, when you're dealing with public figures, is so sided towards the media. I mean, you basically have to find like true malice and intent and like a reckless disregard. And it has to be untruthful so like it's a it's an impossible mountain to climb and there's no discovery he's going to get in fact the discovery is going to be very bad against him because they actually be like okay prove that we cost you all this stuff like prove to us you had all these great deals that got evaporated because brandle was mean to you all these things like at this point this lawsuit is not even worth the the airtime we're giving it but i mean I honestly am starting to feel bad for Patrick Reed because he is just getting horrible, horrible, horrible advice. And in fact, like, candidly, the boys that live should be pulling him aside and be like, shut this down. Like, this is literally a sideshow, like, mockery. Shut it down. Yeah,
0: it'll be interesting to see if they do uh, get him to because it, it does very much seem like the Reed family and not anything to do with, with Liv is, is, is behind it. So it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, twist his arm enough to maybe pull this one out of the courts, or maybe a judge just strikes it down, you know, with a pen and makes it all go away. The, the one that was interesting, the PJ tour, not just responds to the antitrust lawsuit from the players and now essentially live versus the PJ tour, but they've now countersued for essentially interference, which a lot of people have, you know, kind of looked at with an eyebrow and been like I- interfering on what contracts? These are not employees of the PGA Tour. How are they interfering with your contracts if they're just uh independent contractors? What what say you, George, about this countersuit? This is weird.
2: And again, like I, I have to assume they have teams of lawyers that have looked at all the issues, but I find it kind of weird that they're gonna say that they had these, you know, contracts with these players that got interfered with because they are independent contractors. And so obviously like they if a better offer comes their way, they are able to go take that better offer. Um, and that's not arguing like you should be able to play both tours or do whatever. But um, it just seems weird that the, the tour wants to go down this route. And I mean, strategically, when you do this kind of stuff, you're always just trying to introduce risk into your opponent's consideration. And so maybe the tour's thought here was like, well, this at least introduces some risk of of a monetary loss to live, and, and art, interestingly enough, and um, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I have found that having represented people from all over the world, there are certain cultures that are very adverse to litigation, particularly being like a defendant or even considered being sued. And I, I've never had like a Saudi client, I've had some other Middle Eastern clients, and I am curious just from a perceptive view somewhere else that like now being named as a defendant, if, if there is something that's going to be like, we never signed up for this. Like we are not defendants. And if, if there's something there, cause I, I've seen it in other Middle Eastern cultures and like sort of subcontinental cultures where that's, as soon as that happens, the, like everyone's like, well, we gotta, we gotta stop. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious if there's some other things at play.
1: So George, I'm curious, you know, because there's not an employee contract that I have with the PGA tour, but I do sign a membership agreement each year that agrees to abide by the member regulations, right? Which is basically why these live players have been, um, you know, suspended last season and subsequently not offered to re-up their membership and why some of them resigned and, you know, don't hold their membership on tour. Um, It's not an employee contract, but I have, you know, given my word to the PGA Tour that I will uphold to these regulations, and I guess that's what they're using as their kind of contract that Liv interfered with where does that sit as a as a player not being an employee but having agreed to a set of standards that you then exit you know that you then
2: broke so the the short answer is basically your suspension right like they they've been suspended um i don't know if there's any penalties in there like liquidated damage provisions if you breach your agreement because you've caused damage to the tour or anything else i don't know how the tour proves the damage in this case of you know i mean i guess it's like well, we you we lost cam smith and we we spent a lot of money producing you know highlight reels for the 2023 players championship to show cam in 2022 and I, I i don't know necessarily how they go and articulate a damage it's a very weird case to me because i've always thought one of the kind of landmines in all of this was that somehow people would look at the tour and be like, you know, these players really look a lot like employees. We know how you set up the winning and the structures, but the way you control them and what they can and can't do. And, you know, they're on weeks and off weeks. And even though there are a minimum events, but they can't go play any of anything else, unless you let them go play it. I've always thought there was like this weird potential that when this is all the dust settled, if things really got crazy, that some back and be like, no, the players aren't independent contractors at all. They're employees. And you know, which kind of comes up to one of the things with the new guaranteed minimum income that was just released. like they' they're towing the line. Now, I, I again, like, I'll go back and say they have a huge legal budget. They probably retained very, very smart lawyers to look at all of the angles and all the issues to make sure they don't step over those lines. But I mean, I mean they are certainly towing right on up to them,
1: yeah, I think it's interesting you you bring up Cam Smith. I mean, like, he can't even be a part of that complaint in in a sense from the PGA tour against live because he basically played a season and then said, you know what, I'm not going to play the next one. I'm going to play somewhere else. Right. That's some of this nuance that happened in the season break. I, I find like, I mean, the tour can be mad, but they don't really have any rights or any, or any, or any, you know, recourse in that because, you know, they just said, well, I'm not going to play the next season. I mean, Cam Smith could decide to just not play golf anymore. He's got enough money, you know, at this point. Like, he could just say, I'm, I'm done playing golf. I'm not going to play for anybody. Yeah, sure, I got a 10-year exemption to do X, Y, or Z or a five-year exemption over here, but I'm not going to use it. I'm going to go fishing. And you can't get mad at him for that. You, can't, you don't have any recourse against him for not showing up in Ponte Vedra on his own free will to, you know, defend the players' championship. And obviously, they're not going to let him come back now somehow. See how that like criterion gets like you know he's not a member so he can't play but they have members in the top 50 and the non-members that are in the top 50 in the world that they invite so uh, to me that's all gets kind of dicey as to who they're going to invite and who they're not but it's just the the, the the season break makes some of this not make any sense to me
2: yeah and i you know i didn't even know about how that whole thing worked until you kind of explained it to us and, and i mean he is that weird. Thing because he did wait for that discreet window to do it. um and and frankly, you know all at the end of the day, all of this you know Rory sniping and Greg sniping and Jay sniping and Billy sniping, it's just all gotten involved like petty wars. where at this Billy point, I've,
1: I've done no sniping. Yeah, Billy Ho <laughs> um,
2: and, and it's just like at this point, my new favorite player in the world, I've always been a Dustin Johnson fan, but he may not actually be my new true player, favorite player in the world. Cause he has just shut up, shut up, played golf and been done. Right. Like I, he's like the only one. Oh, I, actually Patrick can I have to give him credit too. He was like, I'm just playing golf and it looks really interesting over there. And I'm not saying I'm not going, I'm not going right now, but things change. So like, I, at least he's being honest like i feel like it's just it's all devolved it's all i mean it really is exhausting like we we joke about that when we're looking at all the things that happen in any given week and you're like that was like two like "No, no no that was actually tuesday Like it just feels like something crazy happens every day now that you just can't make i mean for god's sakes the dunhill had to go to a shotgun start i mean you cannot make up the wild things that
0: are just like happening in sleepy golf. And I joked with someone on Twitter that when all these things are happening, I'm like, and and only if we knew that it was the Netflix executive producers pulling all these strings just to generate the most exciting golf documentary you never knew you wanted. And it's just going to become like this amazing piece of storytelling that in the end, if done right, could like bring a lot of eyeballs to golf, both for the PGA Tour and for Live. I think one thing just to pivot away to some other groundbreaking news, there's been some changes to the season ending event down at, uh, down at Doral. They've outlined how there's going to be like the match play bracket and get down to an 18, uh, 18 hole stroke play for, for all the marbles for, for, for a bunch of money down there. Um, You know, that may signal more about the also like media rights that are still, if you, if you trust live and Greg Norman, he'll say still progressing well and still negotiating, uh, many have rumored that this is actually not going well, that they're not able to sell to, to Amazon or Apple or or kind of traditional streaming or, or media partners. And maybe they're just going to do like a TV buy. They're just going to do like infomercial. I'm going to buy time. I'm basically going to make this a commercial free broadcast. But you know, people that are on cable might stumble across us and, and like the broadcast. Uh, some of these rumors have been disputed, but it, it begs the question of like, what is the the business model, if you will, that they're marching toward? And we've talked about it being a startup. Perhaps you are just like burning through cash for some number of years. But it does beg the question of like, where are we going with the TV media product? And is what we're hearing now like a good start or a terrible start?
2: I I kind of personally think, kind of had time to chew on it and go back and forth. The thing that we... Is bands we tend to dislike with the tour is all the commercials and the breaks in action, and because that's how you got to pay for it, right? Like the tour sells to CBS, and CBS has got to make its money back on buying, you know, X events for a year. If and the one thing we've talked about with the live that we really like is it's just wall to wall golf for a five hour window, you zip through, you find what you want. I, I kind of think the only way that they can maintain the integrity, if that's the word we're going to use for how it's been produced and if that's what they want to do with it, is they have to do it this way. They actually have to buy the time, sell the ads on their own, and they're not going to be in, in game ads somehow, whether I don't even know how you do it, like how they do ads for soccer matches or whatever else. Because if you, if you just go to a traditional TV model, well, we really just went back to PJ Tour Golf. I mean, you got the shotgun, you got all this stuff going on, but you really just move back to the tour because that's all TV knows how to do, right? They know, and how to... I
1: think if Liv's proven one thing, they're going to do everything they can to do anti what the PGA tour has always done, right? So, oh, if the PGA tour has always done it that way, we're going to find a new way to do it over here differently. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see kind of how they shake out in the TV world and in the, in that space and and, and what, what comes of it.
0: No, and, and your the point is well different. taken, George. I think, you know, one thing I've I've said and I've, I'll stand by is like, I believe even if they get this media deal, we, we've talked about maybe they locked into it, but they should still maintain like streaming access on YouTube and their own platforms or Facebook Live or what have you. And, and I agree, like that is one, a better, I think customer experience, fan experience to watch it on demand, et cetera. You know, I, I think about it was many weeks ago, I forget which event, I'm like fumbling through like the NBC sports app and scanning QR codes and doing all this stuff. People would probably do the same thing for Fox Sports 1, which is the rumored media buy partner. And so I don't know that it's actually getting a ton of eyeballs. A lot of people just assume like you need a media deal because you need a media deal. And that's what you need. You need a media deal. Like, yeah, they might need a place on cable where people can go watch this for people that just want to watch on cable, but they actually just might need their own app and their own distribution through streaming platforms. And and you can kind of buy distribution with that as well. I, I know how the Prime Video is distributed and there's there's a bit of just put it in the catalog that you can do there as well. Yeah, but I think
2: if, if you go to a TV, if, like if you do a traditional TV thing where Fox is gonna buy it, Fox wants to buy it knowing it's not competing against you for eyeballs because it's gonna go sell those ads if it bought it from you. So that's gonna totally take away the YouTube channel or drastically change it because
1: you'd have to come with a
2: rev share agreement or some way i I mean i I don't even know how you because then it's if you're if you're doing it where you have your tv broadcast you have two broadcast teams now because you have to have these breaks in the broadcast to have
0: the ads and you're it just it wouldn't flow so i don't And this is exactly why it may just be such a complicated negotiation that many people are speculating like this should just happen like any other traditional media buy we're used to. But this one is like super complex. And a lot of people are probably looking at it like, how does this fit into my current model?
2: Yeah. And I don't, I I think if they're going to try to keep the YouTube piece going against a network broadcast, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how a network is going to sign off on that because how do you sell your ads? When that that advertiser is going to look and be like, wait, they got eyeballs over here, like they're not, their eyeballs aren't forced to you to see my product.
1: Well, I I, think you know, Brian, to your point of how do I fit this into my traditional model? You don't, right? I mean, like that's kind of everything about live is you do not fit this into your traditional model. Right, part of the OWGR thing we've been talking about for for weeks. You know, it, it does not fit in the traditional model because of the way the model was created. It doesn't fit in the traditional broadcast rights model because of the way the model was created. So, you—I mean—I think you could be spot on there. The negotiations just that much more complex because you got to create new model.
0: So we could probably talk about this one for for days. We'll try to fit this into a tighter listening experience for our podcast listeners. Another. Person that does not fit the traditional model made some waves this week. Bryson DeChambeau participated for the second straight year in the professional long drive championships. I believe I could have this wrong. He made the final eight last year, and there was a bit. It was like sub one hundred thousand live viewers, but there was a bit of buzz across golf Twitter and across people watching this on on YouTube. Ironically, uh, last year when Bryson was making a run. This year, more quietly, perhaps because you know uh, golf media wasn't covering as much, or maybe it just fit into a, a crazy weekend with a with a hurricane battering the 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 U.S. Uh, East Coast. Um, he goes to the finals, and and I I look at this and I'm like, yes, we all know Bryson beefed up and hits the ball a mile, but you're talking about going up against professional long drivers that do this 24 seven 365. Like my mind is kind of blown that this guy can sidecar this for like essentially like one or two weeks of his focus and get to the, get to the finals. And I, I joked with someone that like, when you looked at this guy, Martin Borgmeier, who beat him in the finals, Bryson is, is a big guy. He's put on a lot of weight. He looks big by golf standards. Borgmeier looks like a mutant compared to Bryson and Bryson's a big guy. Like these are guys that live and breathe long drive. And I, I tip my hat to him because he does things differently. And, and he, he definitely is uh doing it differently here to be able to go to the finals.
1: No question. It's really, you know, to be able to play kind of golf at that level and and then compete in the world long drive at that level. You know, the, the two or three players who have tried to take the world long drive and then become a, you know, competitive golfer on the national stage have, have not been able to do it, you know, in any way, shape or form. Even just trying to hit four irons off all the tees because they can hit that 290 or whatever. Um, you know, they have not had much success between Zubiak and Slodowski and, you know, some of the other guys who have tried to play a couple of events, Kyle Berkshire. Um, so it's definitely impressive, I think, that he's able to kind of, you know, kind of play a different sport, right? I mean, it's the same club, you know, stick on the end of your hands hitting the same, the same little sphere, but, it, but it's a little bit of a different sport.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, hats off to him. And if, if nothing else, to his credit, he's like, hey, I, I'm going to do this. This is going to be my thing. and I want to do it on the side. And, you know, I mean, it, for as much as and I'm not the biggest Bryson fan in the world, you know, you do have to give a lot of respect to what he's done his entire career. He's good. He was the single length club guy forever and he was doing it his way. And he's always had this, you know, very unique approach to it. And for the most part, he's found success each step of the way. And when he, you know, rebuilt his body to be this gigantic thing, you know, I was like, well, let's see how this goes. And he went out and won the U.S. Open. Um, And, you know, he won Bay Hill by basically almost driving a par five, for God's sakes. Like, the guy has gone and done some weird things or whatever, but he seems to kind of, I guess, know what he's doing. Now, I certainly will say with his current bulking up of his body way beyond what appears to be a natural size for him be very curious how long he can go
0: without really having injuries start to creep in and change how this is going to go he didn't even have a surgery this year i believe it was like hand or wrist type situation so that's and i forget if that was in any way golf related or he said it was
1: not golf related he yeah. said it, it was not related to golf or his training, but I—I I, I don't know. It doesn't. I mean, it just seems like it. You know, some of these little muscles break down going that fast, right? Was like it, it, it was it
2: jet ski related? Like was it was it by chance jet ski related? Was he lifting a jet ski? Was it one of those ninety days recovery?
1: One hundred and eighty on the jet ski,
0: but <laughs> oh, okay. no, I don't
1: think it was a. It was no. Maybe ski. fixing a dirt bike is only ninety days. Yeah, yeah, that must be it.
0: But, but it does uh, it does to me like maybe beg the question we can and we can kind of pivot toward, you know, what's coming up here for live uh, live golf is heading to Stonehill Golf Club just outside of uh, Bangkok uh, coming up here the seventh through the ninth of October um, Stonehill new course I don't think anyone knows much about it at all. Uh, it, it's a it's 11 hours ahead of uh, the Eastern time uh, shotgun start at 1015 so you're thinking you know or not thinking it's going to be at 1115 on the East Coast 815 on the West Coast. I will not be watching it live. I've speculated a uh, hat tip to the guys at the Capital golf club that I was chatting with here on WhatsApp about, you know, over under on YouTube views is it going to be over a thousand. And I posited like, Hey, maybe it's going to be pretty high. Cause you're going to have the Aussies in in the right time zone, you're going to have, you know, the folks that play on the Asian tour and, you know, or Thai golfers or what have you, they're going to see golf live in, in in their own time zone. There may be you know, for all we know, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of folks that want to watch that live and are really excited that they've got some of the top players in the world on their own soil. Uh, It remains to be seen. It's in the U S obviously competing against, against football and in a terrible time zone. So I imagine the U S numbers are going to stink, but, but we'll see.
2: Yeah. And isn't there like a, some press on like some Thai kid who's in this event playing.
0: So there's some buzz going on. yeah, the, the guy and, and his name escapes me right now. I had shared it earlier. Well, be honest, um, you just don't want to pronounce it. I, I don't want to pronounce it. I think it's it's not come up my eye, but it's the other the other one uh, I'll, I'll find it. Uh, all, all apologies to the guy whose name I can't pronounce right now. He was uh I'll find his name. He was one of the youngest winners I think ever on the Asian on any professional tour won an Asian event I believe at age like 15 or 16. and I think someone just eclipsed that this year uh, as the youngest winner. Uh, But yeah, it's high golfer that plays with live and is going to play the event. So again, there, there could be some local excitement. We'll see if that translates to, uh, you know, YouTube numbers.
1: I think it's really going to be an interesting data point for live. We, you know, said it from the beginning golf the global game that we don't give enough credit to here in the United States and how much, you know, viewership does exist, you know, in Asia and in Australia. And so what those numbers look like being to your point, Brian, in the right time zone window is going to be interesting
2: yeah and don't forget it's on youtube so you know you can wake up and have coffee
0: golf and just watch it when you're ready i'll be watching it george while while you know recovering after my championship uh victory at the club championship this weekend it's probably uh a, perhaps a, perhaps you can caddy for me no we'll, we'll see how that turns out i'm uh, i'm not prognosticating anything myself We're not bill billy saw me play He he probably would not uh speculate that I'd be be winning.
1: No, nothing about the quality of players there at the uh, Army-Navy Country Club. But speaking of Army-Navy, I'm going to head up to West Point this week and watch the Army-Navy in-star match, Um, go Navy, beat Army,
0: Billy, how many of those N-Stars did you win during your four years? I I, won I, four. I feel like it was the
1: same number you won during your four years. If, and if I recall, like it's, it, you can only win one a year. Is that right? That's true. Yeah, you can win one a year. And and I won four. And I think you won four. For those of you scoring at home, that's the most you can do.
0: Yeah. I I uh, I applaud you. There's not many things I like about West Point. But one thing I love is, is winning the N-Star matchup there. So you're going to have to cheer our guys on to victory. With that, I will bid you guys a happy Monday night. Godspeed. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.